Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. I will predict right now, Mrs. Bush, that C. Fred's story by C. Fred Bush and edited slightly by Barbara Bush will probably become one of the great gift items of 1984. I mean, That's it, nice. I, I'll be honest, I can think of a dozen people that I would like to give this book to. That's I'm, because you're a Cocker Spaniel, <laughs> yeah, man. Well, see, I was, I was telling Mrs. Bush, the first job I had as a youngster, I worked in a dog kennel. It was in Hingham, Massachusetts, Cressingham Kennels, and they raised Cocker Spaniels. And the first dog I ever fell in love with was champion Cressingham Sugar Cookie, you know, <laughs> a little buff Cocker Spaniel exactly like C. Fred. That's nice. I mean, they are lovable. They are. Fred's a funny fella. I mean, he really is. He's been furious this week uh, with all the discussion about old age. Because, you know, Fred is 11. Wow, now let's see, 11 would be, what, 70, 77? 77. And you remember last week or two, the poor governor of wherever it was made the comment, Governor Lamb, about old age? <clears throat> Unfortunately. Well... <laughs> I mean, he may have had a very good purpose, but Fred took it very personally. And then there were several articles about Fred in the paper, and they suggested things like uh, that Fred was getting a lot older, that we had picked a younger picture for the cover of the book. No. Now, that's shocking. Oh, my. And then someone suggested that, you know how uh, owners begin to look like their dogs? I have heard. Well, I have white hair. <laughs> And people said that Fred's white hair was beginning to show, and they questioned, would he or wouldn't he, in the Washington Post? So he's been very upset about old age. And well, I can see why he probably didn't want to go on the road. Not at all. No, not no. A, he says he has laryngitis, but yes. that's not really true. <laughs> Where did uh, where'd you find C. Fred? Well, I didn't find him. He was given to me as a present on a birthday from our fourth son. Charged it to his father, I think, <laughs> but in any case, he gave it to me. And uh, both George and I really didn't want a Cocker Spaniel. We'd never had one. We always thought they were sort of fat and spoiled and and a little dumb. And uh, Fred has spent the last 11 years telling us that we're the dumb ones and he's the smart one. Do you think that uh, that he has an inkling that perhaps when he first arrived, it wasn't the choice? Uh, yes, he heard us. Uh-oh. He says so, too. Uh. But to show you how really dumb he is... Just the other night, about a week ago, uh, Fred got up at 2 in the morning, and I leapt up quickly so it wouldn't bother George, because George, is, George loves Fred, but he's not too crazy about getting up in the middle of the night with him. He scratched on the door to go out, so I ran to get my robe to take him downstairs and put him outside the vice president's house. When? When I came back to look for him, no Fred. Uh-oh. He had climbed in the warm spot of my bed and was curled <laughs> up and sound asleep on the pillow. He just wanted to move me out so he could move in. How does he like the uh, the vice president's mansion? He likes it. Now, that's out near the Naval Academy. It is it? on the Naval oh. Observatory grounds. Oh. It's a beautiful old Victorian house, and Fred likes it very much. He considers himself an only dog, though. And you told me that you uh, had a Newfoundland? Yeah, we have a big black Newfie. Well, yeah. about a week or two ago, I honored a dog called Villa, who was the dog hero of the world, who had pulled a child out of a snowbank. It was a beautiful Newfoundland, so I put Fred very carefully upstairs and closed the door, and Villa turned out to be a very exciting girl dog, and Fred spent about a week <clears throat> looking for her afterwards, uh-huh. but I could certainly see why you loved your Newfoundland. <laughs> this was a beautiful dog. Yeah, in fact, you know, it's interesting. I, I read the story uh, where this big Newfie dragged, there was a little girl lost in a snowbank, 
he actually dragged That's her, right. got her over or under a fence and dra literally dragged her by her clothing to a door. To her front door. To her front door. And uh, you the girl the was there. It was very sweet. Oh, that's lovely. Listen, uh, oh, there's so many other things to talk about. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, uh, uh, if you, I suppose we, no, I don't want to devote the hour to dog stories, but uh, <laughs> but I tell you, Mrs. Bush could take back a couple of interesting anecdotes and relate them to C. Fred. From all the things that you told me, there's a, you know, C. Fred story two is probably already in the making with the reaction from number one. <laughs> Oh, I understand some of you would like to. I'm sorry that C. Fred uh, couldn't be here, Tom, but we do have his editor and confidant. Did you have a question? Excellent. What would you like to know? I'd like to know how C. Fred gets along with other members of the administration. <laughs> well, that's a very good question. Uh, Fred sees them a lot. You know, one of the chapters in Fred's book is about name dropping. Oh, really? He says uh, we Bushes uh, <laughs> consider name dropping an art. Uh, for instance, we don't say, I know the President of the United States. We say, the President of the United States knows me. That, that makes sense to me. And Fred likes the President very, very oh. much. So, uh, Incidentally, I'm a great admirer of your husband. Oh, that, and, and you, of course. In spite of the bowling. And I hope one, I really, I hope one day, if, it, if it's your will, that, Jay, that uh, C. Fred has access to the Rose Garden for whatever purposes he that, finds necessary. That is, that is so nice of you, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. My pleasure. In fact, one of the nice things about C. Fred's story is you have put in what we might call a, a glamour uh, album. Uh, all of the glamorous and, and famous people that C. Fred has That's right. uh, licked or, <laughs> or sat up for. By the way, does, I see him. He's doing a beautiful little act here for Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman was on the show just a couple of weeks ago. Well, he might not remember C. Fred. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, look at all the people that are here. Uh, a couple of the astronauts, uh, King Hassan of Morocco, uh, Oh, and, and Prince Klaus and Queen Beatrix. We had them here in Chicago Aren't uh, they just nice? a couple Aren't of years nice? ago. Yes. Oh, they're beautiful. You know, Fred particularly liked them because he managed to get out of our hands and to stop the whole car caravan. Uh -huh. And to Fred, that is a, that's 10 points right there. <laughs> uh, is there anybody that perhaps he wasn't enamored with for one reason or another? Well, today, and for heaven's sakes, don't write me about cataract operations, oh. but Freddie has cataracts, oh. and we have looked into it, and they can't be helped. Oh. So he gets a little bit nervous when ladies about my age and size fall to their knees, throw their arms around him. He likes to get to know a fellow before they really oh. do that, so he might bark. Uh -huh. A little bit grumpy, yeah. we say. Mm -hmm. How's he with, the, with youngsters? The grandchildren? Yeah. Well, they uh, have learned to respect him now, but, yeah. you know, for a while it bothered Fred a lot because we obviously adored our grandchildren, and they would come waddling over and throw themselves at him, and Freddie would get into trouble unless he was very affectionate. So he learned the way to treat them was just lather them with kisses, oh. which they hated. <laughs> so they now skirt yeah. him. I think that's why we got a newfie. Uh, our youngsters were all small. We felt that it, the dog needed protection absolutely so if he were larger than the youngsters he might survive mm -hmm. you know they're going to survive but we were kind of worried about him absolutely there's another uh in addition to having grown up as a youngster with cocker spaniels which particularly attracted me to see fred's story in the summers when we lived in the east we used to go to a little spot in maine called kenny bunkport oh. in fact i used to look very longingly at the house that you folks now own what is it walker walker's Walk, point, walker's point. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's kind of a touristy thing because down the street, if I remember correctly from Walker's Point, there is a blowing cave. Blowing cave. Now, what That's happens right. is at a certain point in the tide, when the water comes in because of air pressure and all sorts of things, 
it's almost like watching Vesuvius uh, erupt. It's beautiful. It is gorgeous. Yeah. But tourists by, you know, the carload line up to see Blowing Cave. Well, I, I'd like to think they're looking at Blowing <laughs> Cave. I'm afraid they're looking at the vice president's wife in her bathing suit, which is really a wonderful sight. <laughs> I recommend you all take the summer off and come look. That is a lovely spot, uh, which unfortunately, I guess, is like uh, many spots in America, is becoming more and more crowded. And what was well, once it a, used to be a yeah. lovely old fishing village. And really in the War of 1812, really? this uh, little town... They interned all the British fleet, and so some of those beautiful houses that you love mm -hmm. were made by the British carpenters. Oh, I, not, you know, I had never heard that story mm -hmm. before. It's a true story. Last time we were there was like three or four years ago. There were a few empty lots left along the seashore, but I'm sure they're not going to be there very long. I don't think there are any anymore. Mm. Do, you, do you folks ever get back to Maine? We're going to go for Easter. Are you really? Yes, we really love that. And we, my dream someday is that I'll spend... Uh, uh, most of my life there. It's beautiful. We've always thought about maybe going back to uh, Maine or New Hampshire or Massachusetts for Thanksgiving. We that, did that this year. Did you really? Mm -hmm. It was per wonderful. Particularly appropriate. Mm -hmm. You do not necessarily have to be a dog owner to enjoy Seafred's story uh, by Seafred Bush. However, uh, every time that Seafred uh, got into a little mix-up or got upset or even became happy. I, I could think back to similar circumstances in our house, Mrs. Bush, especially the time that he was mistaken for a golden retriever. Well, he didn't like that at Whoa, all. Oh, it's a terrible thing to happen. National magazine. Can you imagine that? <laughs> but they were nice, and they, since it was a backpacking magazine, oh. why, they did send him his own backpack, and it <laughs> said, I am not a golden retriever. Yeah, I know. <laughs> a picture of him in here wearing that. In fact, he has got quite a few little special Oh, yes. He's, he dresses items. up as a spy in one picture because, you see, George was at the CIA, yeah. and he sort of thought he could help, but George didn't. And then he, he thinks he's a cowboy, and he wears a cowboy hat. He loves hats. He loves hats, yes. Now, did he ever destroy either a hat or oh, some yes. item of clothing? In China, we had a lot of house guests. And when we lived there in 74 and 75, people really couldn't go to China. So the only way they could get there was to be our guest. And uh, Fred was such an eater of things then. He was just a terrible twos. So uh, I put a sign in the guest room saying, beware of the bush dragon. <laughs> he eats socks and hats and furs and gloves. Please put them up. Well, he did, faithfully. And we, we had one guest who came, and she got through the whole visit with no problem at all. And then just as she was getting ready to leave, put her hat and her fur coat on the fur hat and fur coat, I should say, on the bed. Now, Fred thought the coat was too big, but he chewed on the hat for a while and then came laughing into the living room to tell us all about it. And he says in his book, and it's true, he really always wanted to play, and uh, he had a hard time getting adults to play with him. But this time, four adults leapt to their feet and chased him around. And the nice lady whose hat he chewed up was so sweet, and she brushed up the hat a little bit and said, no, no, there's, she said, the hole that was there wasn't there. Uh, but one quick uh, mention, I don't know how to bring the subject up delicately, but did you explain to C. Fred before he was going to spend some time in China <clears throat> that a dog's life in China is somewhat different than a dog's life in America? Uh, no, I really didn't. I didn't know it myself. Oh, you, did, oh, you didn't? No, oh. but uh, we had some sort of touchy times. One time George came back from the Great Hall of the People, and he could hardly look Freddie in the eye because after he'd eaten, he was told that he'd just eaten upper lip of wild dog. And if that wasn't bad enough, about a week later we went to the fur fair, and uh, Fred was thrilled when we came home and told him that we'd seen a cat.
Oh, of uh, rug. He thought that was marvelous. But before we let him get too excited, we told him we'd also seen a beautiful sort of buff-colored dog coat. So Fred was very nervous till we got out of China. <laughs> uh, but see, Fred's okay. A uh, little touch of laryngitis. But mm -hmm. other than that, uh, well, anyway, his editor has dropped by this morning. And as uh, Mrs. Bush told you, there's another very special reason for perhaps buying and enjoying Seafred's story. It's because of where all the money is going to go to. And Paula, I guess that would interest you, wouldn't it? It certainly would. Uh, I'm enjoying all the dog stories, but I, was, I really perked up my interest when I heard Mrs. Bush talking about the literacy program. And I've been involved in teaching the Lobach literacy in my school district for about eight years. Well, and that, excuse me. And there, there's a crying need for more people to get involved in this. Well, that's really why Fred wrote the book, because he wanted to make more people aware. He wanted to raise money for both lawback literacy and for literacy volunteers of America. Incidentally, I was there last night in Syracuse, which is sort of the mecca of uh, adult basic literacy, and uh, went by and had a little program with them at a library in Syracuse, and I couldn't agree with you more. And one of the things I'm trying to do is to interest not only individuals, but uh, corporations in giving time and money to help wipe out illiteracy. I guess you know, I'm not sure all the other listeners know, that uh, experts say there are between 23 and 56 million adult illiterates in our country. That doesn't mean they can't read. Right. They might be able to read their name, but it means they can't read well enough to cope. So mm. we are certainly grateful to Paula for her help. Paula, maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, what Lawback literacy is. Is it a method of teaching? It is a method of teaching English to foreign-speaking people without having to have a knowledge of their language. I see. And so in the course of the past eight years, I've taught uh, Turkish students, French, Italian, Dutch, Japanese, Korean. Oh, my. And it's really marvelous when you see the light bulbs that, you know, start to come on. It also it teaches English to people, how to read English to people who speak English, doesn't it, Paula? That's right. Each yeah. one teach one is mm -hmm. the theory of lawback yeah. literacy. Oh, I see. But I, there are many, you know, there are many people that are sitting around and they're thinking, you know, I wish I had something to do. And the Lobach method is, it, it's not at all threatening because you don't have to have a knowledge, and it gives you the skills mm -hmm, and, the, mm -hmm. and the opportunity to really work one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Paula. I appreciate you sharing this with us. Well, thank you very much. Can I tell you a wonderful story about Lobach literacy? Please do. When we were in the Zimbabwe several years ago, I visited a Lobach uh, literacy center, and we went to an uh, honor a volunteer there. And in the program, they had some of the students who stand up and tell you why learning to read was so important to them. And they're so basic, the reasons, you know, uh, the main reasons that people give for wanting to learn to read or to get a better job or to get a job at all, to read to their children or to read their Bible. So mm. they had this nice lady stand up to tell us about why reading was so important to her. So we all expected the obvious answer, and she stood up and she said, I needed to read, and I'm so grateful I learned how to read. You see, my husband used to get a lot of letters, and he said they were business, but now I know. And that was so cute because she surprised us. But there are just a lot of reasons that people need to read. What I, a message I'm sort of taking around the country is saying, 
Don't feel guilty or ashamed if you don't know how to read. The fault is ours, not yours. And we are now trying to, certainly Chicago has wonderful programs Mm -hmm. right here in the city, good local programs, whether they're uh, Lawbach or literacy volunteers, it doesn't matter. You have uh, wonderful programs and you have some, a very good school superintendent and you have, you have the West Side Preparatory School, Mm -hmm. which has taught us all a good lesson, which it isn't money as much as method and the energy that you put into teaching and the basic skills. So, uh, what I'm trying to say is don't be embarrassed if you can't read. Go find help. There's a new coalition for literacy that has an 800 number that will tell you where the nearest place is for you to go. Do you know the number? Yeah, sure do. <laughs> I had a 800-228-8813. That's the Coalition for Literacy. So no matter where you live in the United States of America, if you either want to help or if you want help or if you just want to find out about the programs, that's what you call. 800 800- Two two eight 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 one three. Right. The Coalition for Literacy. We will write that down. And in your local bookstore, you'll see Barbara Bush holding C. Fred. <laughs> We've got a harness on. I just noticed. Is that a harness or is that just that's a, a... No, that's a harness. Oh, that little harness mm-hmm. on there. and Just when he's in public. I see. He does behave generally. Oh, uh, very well. No, I mean, he went to several parties at the vice president's <laughs> house last week. I mean, he's aware of the prestige of the vice presidency. Yes, and, and a little the, bit big-headed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about Barbara Bush, however, because you said something in this book that just pleased me immensely. And I don't mean to be old-fashioned about it. I mean to be very contemporary and very honest. When you in the book, by the way, C. Fred writes most of the book, but then in between are the little comments by his editor here. But Barbara Bush says that, and I'm quoting now, she says, I'm old-fashioned. If your husband asks you to do something, if it's physically possible, you say yes. Right. But we don't, we don't hear that, perhaps. But about- maybe I should have taken the word husband out. When somebody you love asks you to do something, mm-hmm. your children or your husband or your mother-in-law, all of whom I love, or my friends, if it's physically possible, I try to say yes. And I might add, they all do the same to me. That's the important thing. I mean, it's, it's got to be a two-way mm-hmm. street. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you love your wife and she asks you to do something. You try to do it. Of course mm-hmm. you do. And yet, I wonder sometimes if not enough people are following that mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. kind of very basic bit of philosophy. I, I wonder that myself. I wonder it when I look at, uh, when I go to schools and teachers who I have great respect for tell me that, their children are neglected, really, that only 14% of the parents come to parent parents' meetings. Mm. And the reason parents give are they're bored or they're too tired. Well, I, I'm sure they're bored. I was bored for years. But who said we were to be fascinated <laughs> at parent-teachers' meetings? Right. What it really shows your children is that you care about them, and everybody knows that's the best motivation for a child. So all you mothers that are sitting home doing your laundry and feeling neglected, just know you're doing the right thing when you go to the pe- teachers' meetings, and your children have a foot up when you give them that backing. And for those mothers who really um, feel they want to be out in an exciting world, uh, it pays off in the long run. You have happy children. Now, you, of course, uh, have five mm-hmm. very, very successful and, and, children. And when I worry about parenting, then I look at my own children who have children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I find they're much more patient than I am, that, that they have learned some sort of lesson someplace along the line. They're wonderful parents. You, however, and your husband were able to cope with the tremendous difficulties that come with being in the public eye. 
Well, the, in the very basic years, I guess we weren't. Although, uh, when did you meet, by the way? Well, we met when we were sixteen and seven. Really? George went into the service the day he was eighteen, and we were married when he was just twenty, and I was nineteen. So you'll be we've been lucky. Uh, well, uh, a lot of hard work involved in there too, and you will be celebrating a big anniversary. Fortieth anniversary. That's marvelous. Mm -hmm. Is it possible now, uh, with the hectic pace of the life that you lead and the vice president leaves and, and the children, of course, who have their own mm -hmm. lives, is it possible to all get together? Well, yes, and we make it possible uh, by this wonderful place in Maine we were talking about. Uh, George says I can have my pass signed <laughs> if the grandchildren will come visit. Oh, I see. And uh, so I've gotten them all to promise they'll come on August 1st next summer, and I'll have four grandchildren. Great. Uh, and then the fifth will arrive with her, with his mother. Uh, I'm going to take the four alone, I hope, and then the fifth will come with his mother because he's a brand new baby. And the sixth will new, be a new baby, and the seventh will come while we're in Maine. I am going to go to the convention. You'll all be glad to know. <laughs> yes, we will have a chance to see Barbara Bush at the convention. Have you ever thought of... Uh, uh actively getting into politics? I no, mean, and I wouldn't. Uh, n not because I'm, uh, I think it's wonderful and I'm encouraging women to get into politics. I just happen to not be well qualified for it. I have other talents. I'm not saying I'm not talented, but I am not qualified to run for political office. I've never run a business. Uh, I've never met the payroll. I've never paid our taxes. Uh, I think those are all very important parts of running for politics, running for office, I think in order to be well qualified, you don't have to own a business, but you certainly have to have paid your house payments, you have to have uh, met your obligations in the community. Now, I've met some of the Bush obligations in the community, but not the financial ones. That's interesting. You just brought something to mind that I hadn't thought of before, the importance of being prepared for whatever it is that you want to do. That's um, right. You know, that's a good point. I really hadn't thought of it quite that way either. But I... I mean, we all have dreams and desires of maybe doing this or doing that. But if you stop and think of it for a minute, you say, wait a minute now. It's nice to dream, but gosh, I really not couldn't. Not qualified. I really couldn't do A that. lot of people don't know that, though. Yeah, <clears throat> unfortunately. But I see people, mothers come up and say, oh, my son just thinks your husband's the most wonderful thing. And the day he gets out of college, he's going to run for office. Now, <laughs> I've learned to be more politic. And I don't say what I used to say, which was, for heaven's sakes, that's not the way to copy mm. my husband. Get out and work for your United Fund. Get out and work in your church or do something for somebody else. Plus, get a job and feed your family. And then run for office. When George was going to run for the presidency, did you encourage him? Well, he didn't ask me to begin with, and I think, yes, I encouraged him. I campaigned very hard for him. But remember, George didn't exactly ask me to marry him either. Uh, <laughs> I knew he was going to, and uh -huh. I didn't discourage him at all. But I thought he was the best qualified. I still think he's the mm -hmm. best qualified. Mm -hmm. So it never uh, occurred to me to say, don't do it. Because if I remember correctly, and again, I'm thinking of a number of years ago, I, I can remember reading or hearing him uh, when he decided to get out of the, the race, you know, before the convention of saying, and and I'm just not interested in the vice presidency. And he met it. But the old competitive spirit came back uh, when we got to the convention. I must say, I joined him there when I had just gone off to be a good sport, do my thing, and then leave. Mm -hmm. And George told me I was going to work right up until the campaign for the president-elect. And I said I would because he told me I was going to be a good sport. <laughs> but I must say, by that Wednesday when he was chosen, or Thursday, mm. I was right in there fighting with the rest of them. Good. I have one more question for you. Uh, let's get back to see Fred's story here. This is the Double Day book. It's a dog's life, but it's a marvelous one. Jane, you're on the air with us. Yes, 
Has she ever got funny looks when she talks about Fred the way she, <laughs> she does? No, because people know that I'm really talking about helping wipe out illiteracy. Yeah. Uh, it's a wonderful chance. The only thing I'm sorry was I didn't have my grandchildren write the book, and then I could yeah. write about them in the exact same tone. But the, the book's purpose is to amuse you and to remind you and make you aware that almost, uh, the book says 40 million, that's sort of a happy compromise, 40 million people really are not sharing in the same American dream that you and I are dream well, sharing. They couldn't pick up this book and read it. That's the point. They, they couldn't be amused by it. And no. that, that's what just, uh, such a shock. Jane, thank you for calling. Uh -huh. The other thing that I was thinking of, uh, Mrs. Bush, when you mentioned a while ago, the number of people in America today who can't mm -hmm. read. And I was thinking, the first thing I look forward to in the morning is getting up, having that cup of coffee, and reading the newspaper. Absolutely. I mean, the mm -hmm. first thing... I, and can you imagine, uh, literally, thousands of people but who can't read the newspaper One in the thing morning. you have to remember is that... Uh, <clears throat> it's it's A lot of it is that we are such a great, open, loving country that we've taken 400,000 immigrants every year, and we get between 100 and 150,000 political refugees every year, and we mm -hmm. have about a million illegal uh, entrance into our country over our common border, and we have a million children who drop out of high school because there isn't somebody there to help them. Then we have about a million children who just plain aren't in school today, and that seems so outrageous to me, and many of them mm -hmm. are in Chicago. We just don't have money for truant officers, and gosh, uh, if everybody would just make it their business to see that one more person gets to read, it would certainly be exciting. So I tell you what, you could do a terrific thing for yourself today. You could uh, spend $13.95 knowing that all of the profits from the sale of the book are going to go to help combat uh, illiteracy. But in addition, for your $13.95, you're going to smile and laugh and, and share in a delightful story, C. Fred's Story by C. Fred Bush, edited slightly, it says, by Barbara Bush. Let me mention that 800 number again, and I, I think what Mrs. Bush said is important. Don't hesitate to call. Uh, there's no shame in this. There, there should be no embarrassment in this. But if you call 800-228-8813, they could help you. They could answer questions and point you in the right direction. I'm so glad we had a chance to say hello. I'll think of you there uh, up in Kennebunkport, Maine, and Easter. So do, do me a favor. Uh, sit on that beautiful you know, those rocks right out in back of your, your home there, and go like that to mm -hmm. the salt air, and think of me, and uh, give Fred, uh, see Fred a little tickle behind the ear for me, too. Will you do that? I sure will, and Thanks thank you coming. very much for letting me come.